Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One. This is RTE Radio 1. Tonight's Drama on One consists of two memory plays, celebrating the pastoral splendours of counties Wexford and Wicklow respectively. Both pieces are performed by the author, both were composed during lockdown and each was precipitated by a life-changing event. This dramatic duet is accompanied by Irish music played by some of its finest proponents, resonating love of family both for those gone and for those who remain. At 8.30 you'll hear John Boorman's Nature Diary, One Eye, One Finger. But first, Colin Muckanumara's father Liam died on May 5th, 2019. Shortly after, Catherine Noons invited Colm to compose a reflection on spring and nature as part of the Shaking Bog podcast in County Wicklow. Drawing inspiration from watching his own son, Darach, Colm's piece celebrates familial, indeed fatherly, love across the generations. In almost the Liam Machanomera, Shoyev Primroses. It's coming to the end of lambing season here in North County Wexford. And as we have done every spring for the past decade or so, we help our neighbours Seamus and Anne with their sheep. At tea time for most of March and April, we call the pregnant yos and the lambs that are too small to be left out overnight from the fields. We feed and bed them for the night. Then there's the feeding and the counting of the yos and the lambs that are still out. Our soon-to-be 18-year-old son, Darach, has fragile X syndrome and is on the autistic spectrum and his favourite activity in the whole world is to be working with cattle and sheep, and especially with Seamus the farmer, his hero next door. Feeding, counting, chasing lambs and standing in gaps about sums it all up. The predictable routine and structure of life on the farm is what Darach thrives on, and we count our pastoral blessings every day. We look around us at the sweep of green hills and fields, with the sea on the horizon northeast and southeast of us. There's something about the transition from winter to spring, the pale light and the cold breeze, but there's promise in those green buds and bare branches, and the splash of primroses in the hedges and the ditches lift the heart. Primroses transport me to another life I lived many years ago in the Iron Islands. When I was ten years old, I followed in the footsteps of my three older siblings and I went to live with a family I'd never met before on the island of Inishmaun. It was called a course at 3V, a three-month scholarship run by Guy Lin, where primary school children from all over the country had a chance to live with the family in one of the country's Gaeltachts, or Irish-speaking areas. Coming from an Irish-speaking family in Dublin, and having spent every summer visiting our relatives in Connemara, it wasn't the same linguistic deep end it might have been to one of my Dublin neighbours. But while I'd been into town on the bus on my own, and had sleepovers in friends' houses, I'd certainly never travelled to another city on my own, let alone gone away to stay on an island. And as the fourth of six children, I was very much the lone bird leaving a busy nest. I was going to stay with the Concanon family, or as I knew them, the Rogers, or cloned Rudy Roger. Rudy and his wife Maureen had five children, and they were all close in age to our own family in Dublin. My mother left me to the mid-morning train in Houston Station, 
With my suitcase and fiddle, she handed me a paper bag full of books. The lurch of the train matched my stomach as I left Dublin behind me. I was met in Galway by my uncle Tomás, and I spent that night with my cousins and in Chiarua. It was strange to be visiting them during a school term, but sure everything about this trip was strange and new. The next morning Tomás left me to the boat in Russaville, and while I was expecting to see the steamer, the Niavena, a large steel ship that I'd been on before when I was little, here instead was a white speedboat and Kylie Boyda, and it looked like I was to be the only passenger. Thankfully, I'd been on boats before, enough to know that I liked being on boats, but that had mostly been on a lake and not the sea, and I was about to find out that this was something altogether different. Once we'd left the shelter of the bay behind, the sea got bigger and bigger, and before I knew what was happening, we were moving from the bottom of deep valleys with walls of water either side of us, way up to the top of tall mountain peaks. Up and down again we went. My heart was in my mouth. I was wondering to myself, is this normal? The skipper looked like he knew what he was doing, though I sensed that he may have been working harder than usual. This must be normal. After what seemed like a very hairy hour or so, the sea quietened a bit as we got within range of the islands, and then we were approaching the pier. Far and sea, Rudy Roger was there to catch the rope, and after negotiating the tall metal ladder, I found a new appreciation for land. If John Wayne were a fisherman from Inishmoen, he might have been called Rudy Roger. Pipe smoking, stern and stoic with a sweet tooth, he tied my luggage to the back of his Honda 50 and I sat in behind him and we moved off up the hill towards Wood. A speedboat and a scooter in one morning was a lot for a ten-year-old to process. Everyone was at school when we arrived at the house. Bannon C. Maureen made me feel at home and showed me my room upstairs. She was a warm and reassuring presence after the long journey. While their two eldest children were away from the island at secondary school in Inishmore and Galway, the younger three, Trassa, Porrick and Ronan, were still at home. Myself and Porrick were the same age, with Trassa a year older and Ronan a few years younger. Dadja were grandfather Mikkel, Rory's father, lived here too. Porrick and I became fast friends. He became my teacher and guide in all things. One of our daily jobs was to move sheep from field to field as the grass was eaten. In those days, and probably less so now, there were fewer farm gates on the island. Instead, there were gaps, barony, temporary walls. You'd knock the gap to move the sheep out onto the road and quickly rebuild it, larger stones at the bottom and smaller at the top, while the other person made sure the sheep didn't take off down the boating. We were faced with a new puzzle each time we moved the sheep to a new field and we would often have to jump walls and run through the parallel fields to get ahead of the flock, especially when there was a sheep with notions. 
and there was always one with notions that the others would follow, like sheep. Ishmaon is a labyrinth of dry stone walls and fields with vast areas of limestone paving the grey floor of some ancient sea. Where Kunamara is made up of granite and peat, the Aran Islands are an extension of the Burham, a warm microclimate of limestone and different in atmosphere to the Kunamara I was familiar with. I started in the local primary school the day after I arrived. The school had two teachers in two rooms, the smaller children in one room and the second to sixth classes in the other. The learning time was divided through the day, with teacher Mosharash Rudi Beg focusing on different class groups, while the others got on with other lessons. There was a small and a larger break and we would run back home cross-country over the limestone flags for our lunch. There was a group of three of us from the same village, Porik Roger, Jerry Bowen, Mihal Dara, and we fell easily in and out of each other's company. Because of the lack of trees, it was a great place for bird watching, and while on our shepherding duties around the island over many weeks, myself and Porik would watch the different birds collecting materials for their nests in the endless walls. We would check in to see if the eggs had appeared. I learned not to touch the eggs. Arachis gudugachintean fua dunyad, lest the bird would shun the nest. I learned how to recognize the bird by the nest. The blackbird, plain and straightforward. The inside of a thrush's nest was plastered smooth with mud. Robins with their little blue eggs, and my favorite nest of all, Nunjolin, the wren. Theirs were the moss lined, cozy ones that you would love to climb into for a nap. The twice-weekly post was a major source of excitement. After all, is there anything to match the thrill of getting a handwritten letter, or better still, a parcel? Letters from home were a godsend, and I remember how I would reread a letter many times over. There were only one or two phones on the island at the time, and as well as writing a weekly letter, there were occasional phone calls that were made from the post office below the school the postmistress putting her call through. Afterwards, I was never quite sure if I felt better or worse for hearing the voices of my family. Three months in a ten-year-old's life are like a year in adult time, and my memories of that time are visual, each one a different piece of luminous glass that together make up a Harry Clark window of sunlight and magic. Pause, wildflowers. Nonini, sarkini, marikan gurma, banyabobliachtan. Daisies, primroses, bluebells, cowslips. During the month of May, we would pick fresh flowers every day for the May altar in the house. Galigatubber, going to the well. 
While there was piped water on the island, droughts were common and we would visit the local well many times each day and carry home all of our drinking water. Nfajrin. Each evening the family would gather to say the rosary, the hypnotic rise and fall, call and response, the sound of the song in a hive of honeybees. Lanu Fati, earthing up potatoes in the sunshine, blistered hands working in the rich black soil, centuries of seaweed that had been carried up from the shore. Picking wild strawberries from the mini limestone canyons on our way to and from school, and the bullons, pools of water in the limestone flags, small universes where we launched our little boats and ships that mirrored the larger adult world. Midway through my stay, there were rumours that my dad was on the island. And it was true. A crew from RTE were over to do a report about something, and my stomach gave a turn. He was at the house when I got back from school. We ate a meal together that afternoon, and he went away again with his colleagues to interview someone on the other side of the island. I waited up for him to come back that evening. Our house was across from the pub, and from my upstairs window I could hear the muffled merriment inside. Every few minutes the door would open. Capped and tweed-dressed men left to use the gents which was outside under the stars. Loud, humoured voices escaped into the night, and then as the door closed behind them, voices were lowered to match the silence outside. The following day after Mass, we had the whole day to ourselves. I couldn't remember ever having my father to myself before. It felt like a rare extravagance. We walked the whole island together. I showed him my collection of birds' nests and told him the names of all of the fields and of the townlands as we passed through them. He went away again on the boat that evening, and the next morning I was back at school. There were two other Gaelin students from Dublin in my class in the school, two girls, Lasserina and Niedon. They were staying with different families in a different part of the island. I barely spoke to either of them for the entire time I was there, but collectively we would often get slagged for being the Dubs or the Jack Edens. The slagging was more of an occasional annoyance than anything else, but there were particular homesick days where I suddenly felt more surrounded by the sea than protected by it. There's no turf or bog on the Aran Islands. There are also very few trees. For most of the 19th and early 20th century, for many, the main source of income centred around trade between the island's fishermen and the turf-filled sailing boats from Connemara. Turf was sold or traded with fishermen for their catch. The boatmen could then trade or sell the fish in Connemara or Galway. But of course there was a more traditional fuel in Aran the most ancient of all in so many indigenous cultures. Bultrach, dried cow dung, 
cow pots would be turned, dried and collected. When dry, they were odorless and burnt very well. My last week in Inishmaan coincided with Ihi Hinchan, also known as St. John's Night or Bonfire Night in Limerick, an ancient celebration connected to the summer solstice. The entire island seemed to gather at Dunchruhur, the 1,000-year-old stone fort on the highest part of the island. On raised stone platforms, neat columns of dried cow dung had been stacked. As the night fell, the six-foot-tall beacon fires were lit. As the flame caught, I could see the fires lighting to my right in Inishir and to my left on Inishmoor. And then slowly, slowly across Galway Bay, I could see hundreds of bonfires beginning to flicker. From Galway, west to Barna and Spidgel, Cusharga, Indravan, Balanahoun, Russaville and Hararua, and northwest again across the whole of Connemara. It was a century collapsing spectacle, and we cheered as each new fire appeared. I can still remember my sense of wonder and awe and having an awareness at the time that I was witnessing something very ancient and sacred. I cried when I left Houston station. And now, three months later, I cried as I left Anishmian behind me. Bikur Mafagal. Here I was, ushing on my way back from Tirnanog with my suitcase and fiddle, and two day-old chicks in a shoebox. It was my first time on a boat in three months, and the sea this time was as smooth as silk. It was the last week in June when I arrived back in Dublin. The day-old chicks had been a big hit on the train from Galway. Every station brought new admirers as the cheap cheeps from the shoebox on the table drew new requests for the lid to be lifted, whereupon two heads would pop up to a ripple of coos and haws. That September, I went back to school in Skylurkan in Monkstown. It was exciting to be back among my friends. At lunchtime on the first day, I suggested we play Cliffa Soccer. I was quickly and roundly slagged for my Inishmaan blas. I remember the feeling like cold water. A place once familiar, suddenly strange. A dub in Inishmaan and now a culture in Dublin. As I mentioned earlier, three months in the life of a ten-year-old is like a year or two in adult time. You see, I'm not entirely sure if I ever came home from Inishmoen, or perhaps it would be truer to say that the boy who left home wasn't the same child that returned. Over the years I've come to realise that so much about parenting is reliving your own childhood, but from a different camera angle. I was well into my twenties when my father reminded me of that golden day 
that I brought him around the island showing him my birds' nests. He told me how deeply moved and enchanted he was at the time to be reliving his own Connemara childhood of the 1940s. And now, nearly 40 years since my time in Inishman, as I stand on a hill in County Wexford, the primroses in the hedges remind me that life is a circle.
Bunegoev Primroses in Almost the Liam Machanomera, written, performed and produced by Colum Machanomera. Boekas Erlet the Catherine Noons Agus Aoife Woodlock. You also heard music from Colum's recordings. Cuina on Giria, Agus Anish on Imshir, Agus Tost Eran Awan. For more details, have a look at colummachanomera.com. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.